Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by BetDAC. Get 0% commission on all sports for 100 days when you join BetDAC.com. New customers only. Terms and conditions apply. And by All About Sunday. The ownership experience where you can own three racehorses for only £18.99 per month. Visit AllAboutSunday.com to get involved today. Now, here's your host, Emmett Kennedy. It is great to have your company for a special edition of the show where you're going to hear from two of the very biggest names in horse racing. Later, Trainer Philip Hobbs will join me to discuss joining an elite list of great trainers with his 3,000 career winner in the UK last weekend with Zanza. He is only the 12th trainer in British racing history to achieve this feat. It really is sensational. He'll reflect on the weekend, his incredible career so far, and his plans for the future. But first up, let's talk to the jockey who's going to be on board the most exciting racehorse in training, Constitution Hill. Nico de Boinville has got incredible firepower at his disposal for the 2023 Cheltenham Festival. He sat down with me on Racing Live on TalkSport 2 to talk me through his big guns, beginning with the biggest of all. Constitution Hill. Thank you very much. Good to talk to you. And great to talk to you as well. An incredibly exciting time for us as fans as we build up to Cheltenham, but you are going to be on board the horse that everybody is talking about in Constitution Hill. And your boss, Nicky, had his media day yesterday at Seven Barrows, so we got to hear a little bit of the latest on some of the stars. Let's start with the biggest gun of all, Constitution Hill. How has his preparation been going and how excited are you to partner him in the big race? Uh, so far, so good with him. Um, you know, with all our horses at the moment, we're just there. Uh, slowly bringing them to the boil, as it were. Um, they've all gone through their prep races really well. And, um, yeah, it's just uh, it's an exciting time of year to be in a yard like Seven Barrows. I have to hold my hands up and admit that I got this fella badly wrong. I wasn't entirely certain about his supreme win last year. I thought that they'd gone off way too fast in front. Um, and perhaps there was just a pace collapse and he was flattered. And yet he's come out in open company and destroyed the reigning Aintree Hurdle winner, Epitant, not once, but twice. In fact, every time he set foot on a race course, he has won by at least 12 lengths. Timeform ranked his fighting fifth win as the third best two-mile performance ever from a hurdler. And after his victory in the Christmas Hurdle, David Cleary wrote that he might very well be the best two-miler that Timeform have ever seen in their history. That's high praise, but it's not hyperbole because what he's doing is extraordinary. When you're riding him in these great ones, how does it feel? He's, he's honestly the most straightforward horse you could ever deal with. Um, he, he's got it all, really. And, and the, I think the, the biggest asset or attribute to him is that his, his mind is so, uh, he's so professional and he's so, um, he's so calm and he, he's got a very good brain on him. He's a very intelligent horse. Um, and you know, as, as a rider, it makes it very, very easy to, to ride him. And it, you know, it's a, it's a pleasure every time you ride him. You've ridden some incredible racehorses like Sprinter Sacra towards the latter days of his career, uh, Altior, who was one of the greats. How does he compare to, to the brilliant horses that you've ridden before? I, I never really like to compare these, these amazing horses because, you know, they've all got their, their fantastic, uh, 
way of going about things in their own right. Um, but look, he, he's bang up there. You know, I've, I've never really uh, been on such a, a high class hurdler. You know, all the all the amazing horses I've ridden have all been sort of good chasers, and it's it's just it, fantastic to be able to going into you know a race like the Champion Hurdle with a with a really good live chart. And we've seen Stateman strut his stuff. He's got three grade ones to his CV this season, and he's clearly going to be a, a very good opponent for you in the champion. And yet, even when you hear Willie Mullins at his press day, like they're excited about running him. They're looking forward to what he can do, but they're apprehensive because waiting in in waiting down at the start for him will be this this monster of a racehorse. It's it's not a fluke what he's doing. What he's doing is extraordinary. Um, how confident are you ahead of the big race? Uh, look, anything can happen in a in a two mile championship race, and uh, obviously, Stateman has uh, come through all his runs, you know, and he was very impressive last time out. Um, so I think that you can ever take anything for granted, and you have to respect all your opposition. Um, so yeah, I think I think one of the biggest changes is that Honeysuckle hasn't, uh, you know, maybe her form slightly dipped, and we're, we're not going to get the. The, um, the clash that was sort of built up at the end of back end of last season, but um, in State Man we've got a you know a truly uh, good rival, and um, hopefully it should kick off the Tuesday uh, and get the festival really underway. How do you feel about that? That the defending champion is not going to take you on; she's going to go for a somewhat lesser race. Uh, look, she's been a fantastic mare, Honeysuckle, and um, you have to respect everything she's done. Um, but you know her connections are obviously looking after her and uh, her well-being is the main thing. And um, I, I guess they want to go out with, the, with a live chance of, of going to the festival and, and going out with a win. So um, the Honeysuckle is a legend in her own right, and, but it's, it's just a shame that she won't be lining up with us. Yeah, there won't be a dry eye in the house if she wins the Mayor's Hurdle, but there won't be much of a voice left if Constitution Hill has won the champion before that because he'll tear the roof <laughs> off the place. Uh, he's, he's incredibly, incredibly exciting, and I will never doubt him again, Nico, never again. Right. Um, and on the theme of not doubting Nikki Henderson horses, Lucia came out for you on, on Sunday. Uh, she'd been off the track since her win at the start of the season. She was wildly impressive. A little bit of a mistake at the last, not a little, big mistake at the last, but aside from that, she was fantastic. So much so that there might even be the talk of the Supreme Novice Hurdle. Which way would you go? Mayor's Novice or Supreme? Uh, it's, it's not really for me to say. I've obviously got my own opinion, um, which I'm keeping fairly under wraps, but, uh, she's got an incredible engine and it doesn't really matter what ground she runs on. Uh, she won, uh, that listed, uh, bumper at Sandown last year in hot deep ground. And then she won on good ground at Exeter on Sunday. Um, as for the mistake at the last, I don't know, 1600 students that day. And I think they were making quite a racket and she was on her own. So I think she just took her, her eye off the ball slightly. Um, but apart from that, I think I think she's a really exciting uh, novice, and uh, wherever she goes, she she goes with a live chance. I think Nikki might have let your opinion on this horse out of the bag on racing TV because the the reporter was asking, could could the Supreme be a target? And, and Nikki went, hmm, that's what my jockey just said. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, there you go, you've got me. But uh, anyway, no, it's it's just it's nice to have options, and um, it's worth just seeing you know how these races will cut up you know, closer to the time. Would there be a preference of new course versus old course in your mind? For her, no, I don't think it really matters. I, I think she's she's got an, a really good engine and I think whichever course you run on, you know, and, and she stays as well. You know, she did at Sandown um, and she did up the hill at Exeter. So I, I don't think it really matters whether it's old or new. See, I thought I might get you to let it slip there, but no, 
not a bit of it. You're... No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very good at sitting on the fence, I have to say. Boxing clever. That's what you're doing. You're boxing clever. Um, if if yeah. Lucia is as good as we think, then she may very well be a leading contender for the champion or the mayor's hurdle next season. And you've already got uh, a number of horses lined up for that. Marie's Rock, the defending champion. Uh, Epitant, who Aiden will probably ride. And, and Theatre Glory has thrown her hat into the ring as well. On Marie's Rock, the defending champion was terrific in the Rekeel hurdle. Maybe so good that she might actually go for the stairs now. Yeah, I, I mean, these, these races are beginning to look really hot. Uh, the mares, in particular, is looking particularly good this year with um, potentially Epitant and Honeysuckle. And um, it's just a case of trying to get our ducks in order. Um, we know that uh, Marie's Rock would, would stay, um, although she's never been over three miles. I, I do feel that, you know, she's been winning over two, five, two and a half on, on softish, sticky ground. So I, I think on some better ground, she'd definitely get the three miles. Um, I was quite impressed with the French horse that came over and won the cleave uh, back at, on trials day. Um, so, yeah, exactly. So, so whichever whichever race you go in, you know you're up against it. And uh, but I I love this mare a bit. She's a she's a real trier, and um, she was fantastic for us last year. So things come for her going into this year. I've had a feeling for a while this season that she actually might be better over three miles. Potentially, I think so. Um, it's just you know. She, she took a bit of time to settle as she, when she was younger. Um, whereas this year, she seems to be, you know, very, very level in her head. And, uh, yeah, so, so we'll, we'll see where we go. It's, uh, we got, there are, she's got lots of owners who, uh, who are involved with her. So they've all got to stay as well. And um, we'll speak to uh, Tom Palin as well and see what he wants to do. Well, if she did switch to the stairs, she would be a, a major player there for you. Um, but you would also have the option of writing Theatre Glory. I would imagine she will come into the mix now. In the absence of Love Envoy, uh, there's not a whole lot you can do about that, but she was still very impressive. She was. Um, she's been getting better and better and keeps improving. Um, she's now off a mark of, I think, 144. Um, so if, if it came up really good ground, I think she'd have a solid chance. And Epitant, I know Nikki was saying yesterday that the decision isn't made as of yet as to whether or not she would go back for the champion hurdle, which she's won and was second in last year, or uh, be supplemented for the mayor's hurdle. She was very, very good the other day, though, and and proved herself, while she was a long odds on favourite at Doncaster, she proved that her defeats by Constitution Hill um, are, are not a sign that she's declining. She's still very much a top-class racehorse. Very much so. I was lucky enough to ride her at Doncaster the other day. Um, although there was nothing really in, in the race, uh, you know, they, they were good horses, but, but not to, to her sort of level. Um, and it was nice to get a win on, on, under her belt, um, after having sort of come up against Constitution Hill, but, uh, it just shows how, how good a, a racehorse he is. But again, I think she comes in really good Nick and good order herself. Um, so I think wherever she goes, yeah, I'd, I'd love to be riding her, but um, Aiden will be I'm sure, on her. Shishkin, we're going to get to see at the weekend. He ran well in the Tinkle Creek, but I, I think when a horse of his ability, who has achieved all he's achieved, is finishing third in a grade one, you just, you're somewhat underwhelmed. Most horses you'd be delighted with, but he was so brilliant as a novice hurdler and so brilliant as a novice chaser. And even last season, uh, beating an Ergamine uh, in the Clarence House at Ascot, that we just expect great things. He's going to be tried over further. We'll see him on Saturday. What are you expecting from him? I, I, the first thing is, is that I, I just want him to travel away, really, with me. Uh, in the Tingle Creek, I was flat out the entire way. And then it wasn't until we brought him back and then worked him up our grass that he actually flipped his pallet um, at the top of our gallops. And so we sent him in to get have, a, have his uh, pallet cauterized. And hopefully that would have done the trick. He'll be wearing a tongue tie on Saturday. Um, and I think over 2-5, I think hopefully he should be able to travel away 
and uh, just enjoy his racing again and, and get his confidence back. Um, it was it was hard enough on him at Cheltenham last time when we when he ran with a bone a rare bone condition. And um, most of all, I want I want him just to enjoy enjoy his racing again, uh, no matter what happens on on Saturday. Just how serious is that rare bone condition that he was diagnosed with? Well, it, it's like going out with um, two flat tires or four flat tires. Um, I, I knew going to the first that I was in trouble and uh, something wasn't quite right. I immediately put it down to the ground, which, you know, when you when you go back to it, that didn't make sense at all because he had won on heavy ground and, you know, all sorts of terrible ground. So it wasn't that. And uh, luckily we've got a great team at home who um, looked into it and they found this, this rare bone condition and um, he's been given the time to get over it. And it's just a case of, him learning to get over that bad experience and, and realise that he can enjoy his, enjoy himself again. If he is back to his brilliant best, when he buried Eldorado Allen in the Arkle and fumbled Savola, he beat comfortably at Aintree. We saw what that horse did at the weekend. Uh, and obviously he had beaten the Nergamine in the Clarence House, only to then not run his race. If he's back to the swagger and brilliance of, of Shishkin, he really should win at the weekend. Uh, he should do, yeah. On paper, he should do. Um, but as I said, he, he has to enjoy himself and he has to sort of uh, get back into some sort of rhythm and, uh, you make, make his life and my life a bit easier. Um, and I think that's the main thing. I, I, you know, you want your horses to enjoy it and, and that's, for me, for me, it's all about rhythm and confidence and, uh, in, enjoying it as well. Are you even thinking about a potential target at Cheltenham? Like he's in the gold cup for all that he's a, a big price for that race. If he was to win impressively would you be willing to go up that far? Or with Alaho gone, is the Ryanair very much the, the target? Or is, are you even allowing yourself to dream about Cheltenham with him? Uh, at the moment, I think the governor and uh, his owners, the Donnellys, are, are thinking more along the Ryanair route. Um, but we'll see what happens on Saturday. It's, uh, he, he has to come through Saturday to have any sort of chance of, of, um, of going to the festival, let alone, you know, deciding which race to go in. So um, we'll see. It, it all rests on Saturday. He's going to be fascinating. Walking on air, one for you at the weekend as well. And she's a, a she's a he's a son. I'll get this right. He's by Walking the Park, but out of Refinement, who was a, a tremendous racehorse and incredibly unlucky at Cheltenham. She was beaten twice in the champion bumper and beaten on the line in the mare's hurdle when McCoy possibly had a, a back issue that day. Um, but she might very well produce progeny that could win at Cheltenham. Um, would the pretemps be the plan for walking on air? Uh, very much so. That was the plan after Sunday. Um, he's refinement was just an out and out there, I think. And uh, I think uh, walking on air is looking that way as well. Um, if, if we can get him absolutely spot on for the pretemps, we've got a few in that race, I have to say. So um, I think I'll, I'll know further down the line um, which one I'll be riding, but um, I'll probably leave that to the boss. There's a novice hurdler that I'm very intrigued by, uh, Attica, uh, who's won at Cheltenham already. He was in the Challow, but ended up missing it due to the, the awful ground, I should imagine. He's in at the weekend. I, is he a horse that you can see making up and sneaking into being a, a Cheltenham contender for one of the big novice hurdles? Possibly. I think the plan is to run at Ascot on Saturday, so uh, that will tell us more about where we go. Um, you don't really want to be running them much closer to the festival, and uh, this looks like a nice opportunity for him on Saturday. Um, and we'll go from there. And Balco Coastal came up short against Jerry Colomb the other day, but lost very little in defeat in the Sicily Isles. I, I thought he ran a cracking race around there. Um, he's, he's really sort of 
come on so much for, for offence this year. Uh, he did take a bit of a blow after jumping the last, so I expect there to be a bit of improvement there. Um, I honestly thought we'd, uh, we had uh, the Irish horse beaten um, at the pond fence, but uh, unfortunately that horse is, uh, must have quite an engine to, to have come back around me and uh, stayed on all the way to the line. Yeah, and Gordon Elliott seems to think an awful lot of that fella. He, he remains unbeaten and he will be headed to Cheltenham before the old uh, RSA, the Brown Advisory. Um, Mr. Coffey, not a horse that you'll be riding because Derek O'Connor has been booked to ride, but that's a significant jockey booking. Whenever you can get an elite pilot like Derek O'Connor or Jamie Codd for the amateur rider events, punters need to sit up and take notice. Uh, National on Chase is his target. Yeah, second season novice chaser. Um, if the ground came up soft, I think I'd really, really fancy him. Even if it came up to the good to soft, I'd fancy his chances. Uh, he had a nice prep run at Utoxeter. Um, they actually put him up for that run, so that just shows what the handicapper thinks of it. And in Derek O'Connor, we've got a fantastic pilot, and he's you know one of the best in the business. So um, yeah, I'm hoping uh, that he'll run a big race. I mean, he came; he was very unlucky not to win last year because uh, he got into um, he nearly got brought down early on in the Kimmyer and uh, stayed on all the way to the line and just got beaten. But uh, I think in over three six, he should have a really good chance. Yeah, he's a very, very interesting runner. Uh, a horse who's a big price for the Jack de Bromhead Memorial Novices Hurdle uh, is a horse with no name, but would certainly be entitled to take her chance. Definitely. Uh, she ran a cracking race uh, at there last year, um, coming second to uh, Love Envoy. Um, and I hope uh, we can get her back there again. You know, she, she ran some terrific races through the summer on the flat. So, um, I, again, if she could back up that form, I think she goes there with a live chance again. Yeah, and while she remains a novice, having not won over hurdles, she she has indeed won on the flat, uh, as you said, in the summer, so definitely a horse to keep in mind and, and could be one to, to run a massive uh, race at, at a big price. Uh, and on that, uh, the last horse I'm going to ask you about is First Street. Um, you won't have to worry about riding him in the champion hurdle because you, you'll be on board the champagne class of Constitution Hill, but he's a talented racehorse and he'll be in action this weekend in the Kingwell hurdle he could supply a, a decent backup for you in the champion. Definitely. I and mean, he's a horse I've always liked. He's by Golden Horn, and he's a real tough horse. And uh, he, he'd go on any sort of ground as well. He's actually running in the Kingwell on Saturday. Uh, hopefully the ground won't be too quick at Wincanton. Um, it, it's been a bit of a nightmare this season, you know, with, uh, with no rain and lack of it. And it's just been a bit stop-start. But uh, he, he ran a great race round uh, behind Marie's Rock. Um, at Cheltenham last time out, uh, but let's see what she do, what he does at Wincanton on Saturday. I, hopefully, I'll run a big race. And even if he didn't, he was placed in the county hurdle last year. He finished second to Stateman. He could always go back to that race. He could definitely. Um, again, I'll leave that to his owners and uh, the governor. But um, let's hope he comes through Saturday in one piece and um, rolls on to the festival. Nico, final question for you, and I'm going to ask you to omit Constitution Hill here because he's just way too obvious. Of the horses that you could be riding at Cheltenham, Constitution Hill aside, who are you most looking forward to? I think uh, Lucia. I'm I'm very taken with her, and I, I do really like um, how she's gone through her, her races, and uh, I've got a bit of a soft spot for her. Lucia is the horse that we will be following very closely for the Cheltenham Festival, but you've got so much firepower to look forward to. Nico, thanks so much for taking the time to join us, and all the best for the rest of the season. Looking forward to talking to you again before Cheltenham. Great, thanks, Emmett. Pleasure as always. Interview my arse, because that's the, the clowns of you that are on there. That's why I wouldn't go on. You are talking absolute rubbish. Absolutely.
absolute rubbish. You are. You're a farce, and so is he. He knows nothing about grace. You are an underachiever in life. You were icy if your bacon won't help. You are gone. You are one of these takeout merchants. Take out all you can. You are calling out bootmakers' prices on this channel, right? Yep. You couldn't have two bananas to a banana with a bootmaker's inside. But stop you talking rubbish. Right, the show's over, boys. Thank you very Let much. Let me show you right now before you give it up. On Saturday, one of the highlights of the weekend was Philip Hobbs joining an elite list of trainers with his 3,000th career win in racing. And I am delighted to say that the master trainer joins us now. Philip, welcome to Racing Live on TalkSport 2. Thank you very much. And congratulations on your success. It's been a remarkable career and it's far from over. But you're only the 12th trainer based in the UK to win 3,000 races. With the benefit of a few days to really contemplate the achievement, how does it feel? Well, great, really. I mean, I must say I hadn't sort of uh, realised that there were so few trainers that had um, achieved 3,000 winners. The only thing I would say, though, has taken us a very, very long time. I don't think that's that's technically true, but I, I do like the fact that you're such a humble individual that you are playing down the achievement. But there's only two British-based trainers over jumps right now who can say the same thing, and that's Paul Nichols and Nicky Henderson. Martin Pipe had achieved it, uh, and then you're alongside the Flat Boys and Richard Hannon Sr., Sir Michael Stout, John Gosden, the late great Sir Henry Cecil, John Dunlop, Barry Hills, and Richard Fahey, and the recently retired Mark Johnston. It's not many who are able to do this. Even the celebration from your jockey, Tom O'Brien, how exciting that he was to be the man on board. It clearly just means a lot to you, but also to your entire team. Yeah, de- de- definitely it does. And um, I think we were lucky that actually, you know, the 3,000 happened to be on ITV and Tom Rowe, the winner, as you say, which was important as well. And it was um, a, a, a very good occasion. You had quite a few runners over the weekend. How high up on your list of potential horses to achieve the 3,000 was Zanza, given the fact that he was rated 17 pounds inferior to Hitman and 19 pounds inferior to Eldorado Alain? Well, uh, you know, the whole thing was extraordinary. And we're, we're paying a penalty now because he's gone up 15 pounds this week. Um, but, but uh, you know, if you can win a Denman chase, uh, although it's going to be very difficult to manage that sort of racing in the future, it was probably... You, you, you would take it anyway. So it was um, uh, uh, phenomenal that that, you know, Zanzar has won five or six races at Newbury, uh, and it, it, it just seems to be a much better horse around there. I can't think of a reason why at all, but you know, once, once he's only got beat within the back uh, hurdle, where he's only beat two next to him six. I'm a little bit like yourself. I'm puzzled as to why Zanza loves it so much there, but he does just seem to be a much better horse at Newbury. With that in mind, could he go back for the Great Wood Gold Cup? Uh... I think two and a half miles, particularly if the ground is good, is is really getting a bit short for him nowadays. So m- maybe the Laverick in the autumn would be um, uh, the obvious place to go, and uh, uh, m- m- maybe in between, he'll know when he's not at Newbury, he'll probably be handicapping himself better for the Laverick. <laughs> yes. So back for the the Carl Old Hennessy, essentially at the beginning of the new season. That's, that's it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The journey to achieving 3,000 winners began in 1985 with a, a horse called North Yard, who you yourself rode and trained to victory. That must be a memory you look back on very fondly. Yeah, um, North Yard, first of all, was a horse that I'd ridden through most of his uh, racing career before we started training, and then the horse was sent to us by, by his owner, Burrett House. And um, it just made sense that I rode him, really. And actually, you know, when we started, we started with six horses, I own two of them, 
and realistically, I needed the income of the riding as well. So, I, I, the last season I was riding, I think I only had about 50 rides. But nevertheless, that income was important to make the thing work, you know? Does your former career as a jockey help you in your day-to-day dealings with your own first jockeys? Because, extraordinarily, if you go back for the last 28 years, you've only had two stable jockeys. Richard Johnson, who only left because he retired and was a four-time champion, and now Tom O'Brien. That's an incredible example of your class, but also your loyalty. Um, yeah, there was a, um, a period in between when, uh, for two years, when Richard Dunwoody rode most of our horses, uh, and, that, and that worked very well at that time, and he, he was fantastic at that. I had a, a text from him yesterday, actually, because he's now living in space. But, um, yeah, yeah, I think so. You've got to remember that when I was riding, I, I had 160 winners in a 10-year career, so my riding career was extremely moderate. Thankfully, the training career has gone better. <laughs> but the relationship and the dynamic between you and your jockeys is going to be key. And with the greatest respect to fellow trainers, like Nicky Henderson has a very strong and long-term relationship with Nico de Boinville, but most trainers will go through jockeys. They'll just change. I remember speaking to Richard Johnson when he retired. He was full of praise for you and so grateful for everything that you had done for him in his career. And speaking with Tom O'Brien, it's it's the same. That loyalty and that bond between you and and Richard and Tom O'Brien, that's a rare thing. It's great to see. Yeah, I think that it's, you know, a jockey's always going to arrive with more confidence if he, if he knows he's less likely to get jacked, jocked off or get the sack, you know? And, and if a jockey can arrive with more confidence, he's usually going to arrive better with the result. A hundred percent. When you look back on the successes of your career, Defi Desoy winning the Triumph Hurdle and then getting him back after a disappointing season to win the Golden Miller at Cheltenham, the Tinkle Creek and the Clarence House, beating Undeso and both of those was some achievement. Rooster Booster was obviously phenomenal. If you could reach back into time and pluck one of those horses back to train now, who would it be? Yeah, Rooster Booster, you know, for, for um, 18 months he was unbeaten and he was probably the best horse in the country and the others ran away from him, you know, which was great. This definitely just all was rather different because he won seven grade one, therefore it lasted longer and was probably a better achievement. But Rooster Booster was amazing at the time. And he really was a, a remarkable racehorse. His champion hurdle success on the back of a, a county, which he was a runaway winner of, uh, a great wood. For him to be able to emerge from the elite handicapping ranks into being the champion hurdler, that was some achievement in itself. Well, you couldn't imagine it because well, originally when we bought the Rooster Booster, um, he'd been trained by a fellow called Richard Mitchell, also bred him down in Dorset, and uh, he'd had three or four runs before we bought him. And uh, the first time he ran for us, he ran at Chepstow and a handicap hurdle off a mark of 130 or so, that sort of region, and um, he got well beat, ran terribly, so how could you imagine that? And if it hadn't been for a pesky Hardy Eustace, who almost ran in the Coral Cup, he would have been a dual champion hurdler. Yeah, and, you know, he, he went through a period of time where he kept on finishing second in handicap. So, of course, when you finish second, you do go up in the handicap. So he kept on going up and up, and then he finished second again and again and again. So eventually, we were... We, we were that higher rating that he was running in grade races, which was um, staggering. Well, he coped with that step up to grade one level with aplomb, and he really captured the imagination as well, which might have had something to do with the fact that he was a grey. And another very classy, lovable grey who ran in those silks was Detroit City. He won a Cesaro which for you and a Triumph Hurdle, which is another example of your brilliance as a trainer. <laughs> you can have the right horses, though, haven't you? It doesn't work without it. Yeah, Detroit City, he, he, the Rooster Booster uh, was the most amazing horse and very genuine. Whereas um, Detroit City, although he won those good races, you, you, you wouldn't want to totally rely on him, you know? 
he was that kind of horse. He was really, yeah. But he, he had phenomenal ability and um, did very well for a long time. Speaking of having the right kind of ammunition, you said something extraordinary to Nick Luck on Luck on Sunday on Racing TV. In your career, you have never gone to the sales and personally splashed out six figures for a racehorse, which when you consider your rivals in the Trainers' Championship, and particularly in Ireland, yards are filled with with horses of of that value. That is an extraordinary example of your ability to be able to identify talent at at a lower end and then be able to excel with them. I know you've been sent six-figure horses, but the fact that you never yourself have gone to the trouble of actually buying one, and yet you've had the success that you've had, that says an awful lot about you too. Well, we've, you know... I've never had an order to buy a six-figure horse. Actually, amazingly, I think we sold the first ever six-figure horse with a horse called Moody Man, who won the Imperial Cup in County Hearst in 1989, I think it was. And we sold him to go to America, and the partnership worked really well at the time, um, and they wanted to cash in. And we sold him to America for just over six figures in 1989. So, But I, I haven't... Had ever had an order to buy a horse for that amount, and I buy quite a few on spec, and I'm certainly not going to buy them on spec six figures. So, um, although, as you rightly said, we've had some tender costs because I, I've never bought one, no. So, um, I hope that might change, though. I mean, you know, realistically, nowadays, uh, a six figure horse was an awful lot of money, say, 10, 15 years ago, but now it's not. Yeah, which, which is an extraordinary thing. I mean, you look at the figures that horses are going for at the sales. Even when you just look at the entries for the Cheltenham Festival this year, the betting for the Ballymore is headed by Hermes Allen, who cost 350 grand. And there's plenty of horses with the Willie Mullins yard who have cost way over half a million. It's extraordinary that there's a cost of living crisis going on, and yet that is not the case when it comes to the sales in Ireland and Britain. I think, though, that's always been the case in the top end of sales um, always seem to beat recessions and, and prices keep on going up. A horse that I'm fascinated with that I'd love to get a few lines from you on is flagship Uberalis because when I was properly becoming engrossed in racing, would have been around 2001, 2002, 2003, and, and he won the champion chase for you in 2002. He had bounced around a few different trainers for different reasons, but he really excelled for you and would end up not only winning the champion chase, but also having great longevity to his career afterwards. Yeah, he did, but it wasn't rocket science, really. And I think the, the, what the other trainers had done with him um, showed us that uh, if he ran too often, it's his form teetered off. So the first year we had him, he won the Tingle Creek first time out for us at Sandown. And um, Michael Christofiak, who owned him, was actually very straightforward and easy. When I said to him, look, I'd rather not run him again before the champion chase. It was a long time to wait. But nevertheless, it, you know, it worked extremely well. And um, that was, it was just obvious looking through his form that if he ran too often, too close together, his form deteriorated very quickly. So it, 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 it was fairly straightforward, really. That was the way forward with it. And somebody who would have been part of that story is Johnson White. He's been your assistant trainer for 30 years. And you announced on Saturday on ITV after you achieved the 3,000 winners that things are going to change. He's going to join you on the license. That doesn't mean that you are retiring and nobody wants that either, by the way. But it is becoming more of a thing in British and Irish racing, trainers having a dual license with an assistant or somebody else coming on board. How is that going to change things for you? Not a great deal to start with. Um, Johnson has one or two owners that he will um, uh, 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 be buying horses for and that will help the business. But 
Sarah and myself will still be running the business. Um, Johnson will probably the only difference is that Johnson will probably go racing some more because actually he's been the uh, person in the background who's running things at home when when uh, I'm not there. So he'll probably go racing a bit more. And um, at the start, with things won't change much. But as he's probably got, as time goes on, more horses in the yard, then then obviously he'll be going racing with them, with the owners that own them. By the time the Cheltenham Festival comes round, will Johnson have joined you on the licence, or is that going to happen maybe towards the end of the season? Uh, um, I hope it'll happen in the next week or two. Um, as soon as um, they can get it organised um, at Weatherby's, um, that that, and the BHA, that that's, that's going to happen, then it will uh, go ahead as soon as we can. Technically speaking, then, you both will be on the name of, of Time Hill in the Brown Advisory, the old Absolutely. RSA. I, ha- I have to hold my hands up, Philip. I thought you were mad to be going for the Cato Star Novices Chase on St. Stephen's Day, Boxing Day. I, I thought you should have been going for the Grade 1 Hurdle. But you'll forget more about racing than I'll ever know, and you were absolutely right. He was terrific in, in the Cato Star, and you must have been thrilled with that. How has his preparation been going with a view to the Brown Advisory at Cheltenham? Yeah, everything's gone great since he's, he's not going to run before the race. Um... Um, mind you, I could have easily gone the wrong way. I, we did very much consider running him back over hurdles, but having scored him at home with cheap pieces on, it certainly seemed sharp and his jumping up. And you only have one season novice chasing, so if he went back over hurdles now, then he would be staying over hurdles for the rest of his career. So we wanted to give him every chance, and um, it certainly made a difference. Actually, the person who was very instrumental in going to Kempton was Richard Johnson, because although he's retired, uh, we still keep in touch, and he said um, he said you, you certainly shouldn't be giving up on that. Shorten him up with some headgear makes a diff- lot of difference. He was absolutely right. It's terrific that your former jockey is still involved in the process and, and talking to you because you hear about the Willie Mullins. Well, well, yeah, it's right. Yeah, you hear yeah. about the Willie Mullins war room with David Casey, Ruby Walsh, uh, and Patrick, and and to hear that Richard, who was such a, a firm part of your success over the years, that he's still involved uh, in giving you advice here and there is is terrific. Yeah, no, well that's. Um, uh, his advice over the years has been extremely helpful and it's great that he's still involved, although obviously to a lesser extent. And we covered that race uh, when he was beaten by McFabulous live on, on TalkSport 2 and he looked very novicey that day, but at Kempton in the Cotter Star, he was incredibly professional. He never touched a twig. I think the difference was, was in the Cotter Star they went quicker. Obviously he had the headgear on as well um, and the other thing was that Newbury the ground was fairly firm and he was nearly having to sort of be upside making the running, which didn't really suit him. So all those things made a big difference to Kempton. He'll have to have a, a massive chance in the old RSA, the Brown Advisory this year. A horse that we're going to see at the weekend and hopefully will be running in the Grand National for you is Sporting John. Uh, on his day, a very classy individual. How has his preparation been coming? Yeah, I know he's gone very well. So he's going to run at Ascot on Saturday is very much the plan. Um, I mean, obviously he has, has to run extremely well there to even think about the Grand National, but but he's entered and that's an option. And Philip, what was your reaction to the entries for the Grand National? The fact that it didn't break 100, it was down to 85. If you look at the top 20 in the betting, only five are trained in the UK and that's actually dropped to four because I Will Do It has been confirmed as not being qualified, so he's had to come out. So it's really 35 British horses who are entered in the race. It's something that got a, a lot of criticism from the British handicapper, which has then resulted in uh, Dan Skelton not being too pleased with his choice of words. But is it worrying for you? Well, it is a worry, I suppose, that, that there aren't enough horses to be entering the race. But you have to remember that traditionally in the last few years to actually get a run in the race, you need to be 145. So you, you're nearly into 
you know, the top two or three percent of horses in training that are even eligible to possibly run in the race. So, so it's not that easy, you know. So, um, we'll, so we'll, we'll see. As the season continues and as Cheltenham rolls on, what are you most looking forward to for the rest of the season? Well, you mentioned Tyne Hill at Cheltenham, and obviously that's uh, very much. But, you know, we've got some nice youngsters that will be running in the spring. Um, not having so much money to spend, spend means to say that we probably spend more on, you know, stores nowadays uh, than we used to. Um, so we've got some, some youngsters that haven't run yet, run to run in bumpers and things. So hopefully we'll have a solid end of the season because we have been very slow up to now and with some nice youngsters to go forward to the next season. Is there one name on your lips that you can think of that we should be looking out for? <laughs> Most of them haven't even got a name yet. <laughs> so, yeah, so I can't even give you that, I'm afraid. <laughs> we will keep an eye out for young horses, though, making their debuts in bumpers and novice hurdles uh, very, very soon. Philip, it's, it's an incredible achievement. Uh, you are one of the nicest individuals in racing, but you're also one of the greats, and I'm delighted to see that that has been recognised in your achievement, and I'm sure there's going to be plenty more success to come from you. A pleasure talking to you today on Racing Life. That's very kind of you. Thank you very much. My thanks to the legendary trainer Philip Hobbs and to the superb Nico de Boinville for their company. And if you like that, you will love Racing Live on TalkSport 2. Wednesdays, Thursdays and Fridays from 1pm to 4pm, we break down the big stories in racing. We get the big guests, similar to the Final Furlong podcast in that regard. The difference is we also bring you live racing. So join Lee McKenzie, myself, Lizzie Kelly, Paddy Aspel, Tony McCormick, all the gang weekdays from 1pm on TalkSport 2 with Racing Live. And we've got more great content coming your way right here on the Final Furlong Podcast. More big interviews, more big race analysis, and big anti-post previews as well, including a Cheltenham special with Paul Ferguson from the Weatherby's Cheltenham Festival Betting Guide and Dennis O'Regan as we turn our attention to the anti-post markets for the Cheltenham Festival once more. That's coming your way very, very soon. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. Remember to like and subscribe on whichever podcast app it is that you're listening to us on right now. It all helps with the algorithm. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you very, very soon on The Final Furlong. Be safe, be well, God bless. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by BetDAC. Get 0% commission on all sports for 100 days when you join BetDAC.com. New customers only, terms and conditions apply. And by All About Sunday, the ownership experience where you can own three racehorses for only £18.99 per month. Visit AllAboutSunday.com to get involved today.